Okay, we got episode seven of the Chalice Chasers podcast. And um, today is the trade deadline. And so we have a guest that's here to uh, kind of dig into that. And I am super excited to get into this guest uh, and get our intro taken care of here. But before we do so, just wanted to let everyone know that we, uh, we now can access the pod on Spotify which is a huge step, uh, was able to uh, get the feed sent over there. So for any of you listeners out there on Spotify, check that out. Uh, and then for everyone else, a cool stat that I thought was pretty interesting. Uh, we have our first international download. We uh, There's someone out there listening in Belgium. So whoever you are, uh, really appreciate the listen and uh, your dedication to uh, fantasy baseball in America. But um, without much further ado, I want to get into our guest today. I'm Super excited for uh, uh, the person I have on today. Very, very accomplished in a short amount of time in the uh, fantasy baseball league and multiple chalices behind his name. Three-time champion in four total appearances. Seven playoff appearances with 10 total wins. Third highest winning percentage all time at close to 600% also has only owned the number one pick once in 2015 and he did win that year a more interesting fact about him he may be um owner of the most popular nickname in the league without further ado the big milkshake carter farrell how you doing carter good man thank you for having me on uh happy to be here um Took the train down, actually. So we're doing this live. Uh, haven't been to Philly in a couple of years, so really excited to be back. And what better way to kick off the day than uh, talking a little baseball on trade deadline day, one of my probably favorite sports days of the year. Yeah, and have you ever seen a trade deadline day like today? No, it's funny. I remember usually would coincide going at the beach uh, trade deadline growing up and maybe in just a little dork in elementary school, you know, run inside, check it out and see the brave shape for some scrub relief pitcher usually, but today, I mean, the names flying off the board have been wild. So I'm excited to talk about it and uh, see the implications for the rest of the league. It is, uh, it has been wild. And uh, before we dig into that, I want to let everyone know, uh, out there know that Carter is a massive Braves fan and a very big baseball fan. And so we're happy to have him on uh, probably going to talk a little Braves talk a little bit about what's going on with them. But uh, before we get into uh, the, the massive deals that are just taking place left and right around us right now. I'd love to one Carter ask, where did the nickname, the big milkshakes come from? Because that was the name of your uh, 2013 team when you uh, won the championship your first year. Yeah. So I believe the commission self, Kevin Wagon anointed the nickname and uh, it came about because after flag football at Penn state, we'd go to the creamery, which is probably my favorite spot actually at Penn state. And I would indeed get a big a big milkshake more wow. times than not. Um, I absolutely and it just stuck. So I absolutely love that. That is a, a fantastic nickname. And uh, you did come into the league and win it uh, first year. And uh, you've won it in 2013, 2015, and 2018. Uh, I got a quick question for you. Your 2018 team name, Fixing a Leak. Your 2015 team name, Dirty Mike and the Boys. And your 2013 team name, like you said, for the nickname, The Big Milkshakes. Out of the three of those, any of those teams you remember the most closely or any anything stick out to you from them? Uh, I feel like the last team was like a wire-to-wire -wire team from what I remember. Um, 
I mean, I'll say it now. Like, I, I'd say we're in the modern era where we're kind of at, like, the most owners, probably the best ownership ever. You could make a claim I don't have any modern era wins. So, um, wow. might be tough to, you know, rest easy on those three championships if I haven't done it with uh, the strongest league around. So, and embrace debate, but you can make that claim. Wow. And not only is he very successful in the league, everyone out there, he's also extremely humble. And we can see it through that comment right there. But uh, no, your your 2018 championship was, correct me if I'm wrong, the last year of points. That sounds right. I, everything's thrown off for me with the COVID year just because we kind of, you know, like very fun, exciting baseball season, but we kind of slapped together a fantasy year and like I counted, it happened, but you know, I, I sort of like blend 2020 with 2019. Yeah. So I, I think, I believe 2018 was the last points year. That, that sounds um, right. That fixing a league team you had, uh, I was looking at some of your players and I just wanted to name who was on your team at the end of the year. I'm guessing Mike Leak since <laughs> you that's ob- probably the team name. Okay. You obviously had Mike Leak, but you had Trevor Story, Mookie Betts, Juan Soto, Ronald Acuna, and Clayton Kershaw. I could make an argument for all of those guys being Hall of Famers. Yeah, I mean, I, I actually didn't remember having Soto. I, I got Acuna, obviously, being a Braves fan. It's just a guy I was sniffing out the whole time and was eager to get because I'm trying to think. If that's the year he came in up like a week late, but everyone knew he was going to be on the team all year. Maybe I'm off by a year. But, yeah, it's just – I don't know. You get like a stalwart like that on your team. It's pretty easy to build around. So, and I mean the uh, foresight too, because in 2018, like Soto, Acuna, those guys were really just coming into their own. And so, um, yeah, just, I saw those names and it was really interesting. And, uh, um, and so there, your 2015 and 2013 teams were interesting too, but not uh, the only thing that really stuck out to me was you love Owen and Freddie Freeman. How could you not? I mean, as you mentioned, Braves fan, he's the fish, the franchise. He carried the team through some dark years, and I'm glad that, uh, you know, they finally got a winning team around him. Now he's an impending free agent after the season. I'm starting to get a little nervous that he might chase the big bucks from, like, the Angels or some other team like that that can just back up the Brinks truck for him. So I hope I'm wrong there. But, yeah, I haven't had him in a bit. Um, great player, great guy. So you yeah. really, you really think he would leave Atlanta? I, if there are cheapskates, I could say it. Yeah, that's crazy. It, I don't think there's anyone hotter than him in the league right now. I'm not sure how he's done this week, but last week I played Larry and uh, man, Freddie Freeman smacked him in the face. Yeah, I saw a tweet uh, earlier this week. I guess it was on Tuesday, I think. Um, and he's been batting like 400 over the past month, like 435, and obviously with the power numbers there too. Yeah, he's just turned a complete page and. An absolute monster. That's um yeah, and I, I felt that uh in full effect. Uh, so I guess um I guess we we have to dig into this trade deadline. Like have like it has been absolutely bonkers right now. It's it's four twenty on the uh, um on Friday afternoon while we're recording this podcast, and so much has just taken place. Uh, we've got the TV going here in the background with every, uh, MLB Network. Uh, what like what's your first reaction from this trade deadline? Just like the sheer amount of names that actually have been going. Um, I mean, you know, you like if you're a diehard fan, you're on MLB trade rumors all the time. You you know whose guys are going to be free agents at the end of the year, so you get a bit of like an inkling of who's available or whatnot. But you almost never see this many teams actually cash in on it, and it's been pretty awesome. Where uh, 
every 10, 15 minutes, just a new name that's a marquee player is coming up and moving spots. So it's going to be really interesting how this shakes out both in the sport itself and fantasy baseball. Do you think this is like a domino effect a little bit right now? Like, do you think there's some teams out there just um, making rash decisions because it's so easy right now? It seems like this may be, wow, Jorge Soler just traded to the Braves. That's very interesting. Just got three outfielders today, so wow. no center fielders either, but I don't know. That's that's uh, that's crazy that that's just in. Um, but uh, no, so where I was going with that is, do you think there's some trades out there that are taking place right now where you're going to look back in a year and be like, what was going on there? 100%. I mean, I think a lot of this has changed with the one-game play uh, playoff where – if you're a team that's not going to win your division and like the Dodgers who actually suddenly might not win the West, you go out and get Max Scherzer to pitch that game and just ensure that you get that five game series. Why not do it? So I think it's been a really good addition to the sport playing that game. And I like that teams are reacting to it in the same manner by uh, actually going out and, you know, playing to win that game. We have to talk about that trade. Why? I know you don't want to pay them. I know you're rebuilding. But why on earth do the Nationals let Trey Turner walk? I don't understand it at all. Um, it'd be one thing if they're a team that didn't have the budget to sign a guy like that, but they do. And the only other guy they really would think about having to pay is Soto, right? Like, I don't think I'm forgetting anybody else. So I don't understand it at all. I mean, I, I could be a prospect dork at times. I didn't really know the catcher they got, but everyone loves them. Uh, Isaiah Gray got a few starts this year and looks like he's going to be, you know, he had a bad, uh, bad couple games up in the bigs, but he's like a big time prospect too. So I guess the return's good, but I didn't understand him couldn't trade Turner in that. I think you can get that return with just Scherzer. So, right. I don't know. Yeah. I thought that was a wild one. There's just uh there's so much going on where it's just like thinking to myself, like, like this is just wild. And uh, uh, another one that's kind of similar um, is the Phillies like what? Like, are they going to look back in a year and be like Kyle Gibson and Ian Kennedy? <laughs> Talk about scrubs. Yeah, I uh, I don't want to rip on the Phillies too hard because there's some bias. Being a guy from Philadelphia, never rooting for the team, I always remember the day they had the World Series. Play was one of the worst days of high school because I was one of like 15 <laughs> nerds that was at school that day. I was wearing my Brave shirt just to prove I'm a fan and. Everyone else having a good time, getting drunk and whatever. And yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think trading for relief arms is always a good thing, especially Kennedy. I think he's pretty underrated. Um, you know, he, he was a pretty mediocre starting pitcher with the Yankees, but reinvented himself pretty well as a relief pitcher. He just don't think he got much attention since he's in Kansas City and now Texas, who's been atrocious the past couple of years. I think he's a good pickup, especially for a team that needs that help. Gibson, I'm not seeing it at all. I know he was an all-star this year, but uh, every year before, that's not very good. The peripherals aren't overly great. Uh, I know Tim, the group, me mentioned the K per nine. Seven and a half is really bad in this era of baseball. And Matt Moore stinks. Velasquez is pretty bad. So, like, kicking him out of the uh, rotation is not the worst thing. But I don't think that's the guy to, you know – solve your needs and um, I'm with you there. It, it kind of feels like, and I hate to say it, but it feels like the Phils might be uh, kind of um, not laying down and letting the Mets have it this year, but it, it, I don't know. It's I'm not so plugged into the Phillies to really speak about it intelligently, but um, I'm just not, I wish with all this going on, I wish they had a bigger deal. 
Yeah, it's a weird division. And I know some of the guys were talking about them not having the biggest uh, trade chips. So I think like getting, getting a, making a move is necessary just because you're only three and a half back and the Mets just don't really feel like we're on the way with the division, despite probably being the most talented team in it. But yeah, I, I don't know. I just don't think Kyle Gibson's that guy to go out and get. Um, I don't know. I mean, I know Spencer Howard hasn't exactly been a stud when he comes up, but he has that pot prospect pedigree. I'm a huge pedigree guy. I'm just, I'm just not sure that's the dude that, you know, you want to be dealing for Gibson, who I think doesn't have many years of control. I don't know off the top of my head, but I don't think he's going to be a Philly for the next two, three years. I believe he is a free agent after this year or the season after. So speaking of prospect pedigree, any trades you've seen where there's been a prospect moved or someone that you just are like, wow, I can't like they're robbing, they're robbing the cradle. So I think that Cubs White Sox trade is really interesting. Um, I mean, Kimbrel, as a Braves fan, I've always loved that guy. Just absolute stud. I know he's been through like a couple tough years with the Red Sox and the Cubs last year, but the guy's been lights out this year. So now you have him, Hendricks, and Michael Kopik at the back of the bullpen. Like that's just gonna scare the shit out of some people in the playoffs. Like you're starting to give you five and you just go to the bullpen, you're set. So, oh, yeah, very, I didn't think about that. Very, I and mean, that rotation's gross. So, they don't even need, you know, they'll probably get more than five out of a lot of those guys. But, um, was that who, who was like that recently in like say the last two or three years where they get to their bullpen? It was like you just didn't want to face them. Was it the Astros or the Yankees? Astros had a pretty deep one. Um, I'm trying to think like, like Ron Presley was pitching out of his mind that year. They had uh, what Osuna, the yeah, the guy that you know got in trouble for beating his wife, but he was a good pitcher. And it's somebody else in the mix too. I can't think of it, but um, I think it might have been the Strohs that I'm thinking of. There's just and it just dawned on me when you said it how like the White Sox are going to be that team this year in the playoffs, like yeah. where you just do not like you're not going to get any hits off them potentially or any runs. Like you're really going to have to find a way to manufacture runs. Yeah. I have to look this up. Cause there is a guy I remember that just would pitch like every game. Oh, Chris Davinsky. Right. Wasn't that his name? That dude would just pitch every game for him. And he wasn't even like lights out, but he just was always available to give him like more than an inning. And yeah, they, they were scary. So yeah, they're in a good spot, but Madrigal is a good player who was raking before he got hurt. And Kimball, I think, is a free agent after the 2022 season. So now you get a second baseman you have under control for five, six years for a closer you probably weren't going to resign. I, I think that's a really good move for the Cubs. And, um, you know, they probably shouldn't even be selling in the first place as a big budget team, but they're doing it the right way. So I got to give them credit. 100%. So then bringing it, bringing it back to fantasy baseball for a minute and the uh, IKF Brigade, which. Uh, I know probably need a team name change. But. <laughs> uh, for those of you out there who don't know what that is, that's uh, what? Um, Falefa? Yeah, Isaiah Keener, however you pronounce the last part of it, um, running stick in the league. <laughs> I kind of fell for it, picked him up on waivers, and already have dropped them. So, um, yeah. I, I know you're a big uh, shtick guy when it comes to uh, the league, and so I, I can appreciate a name like that. Um, and so bringing it back to fantasy baseball for a minute, any of your guys been moved that you've been excited about or you, you're ex- like happy they're going to get a breath of fresh air? I haven't seen much movement actually from my team. Uh, the guy that probably would have made the most sense is Jose Ramirez, but I guess they're probably, I mean, it's, I guess the gardens have to call him out. Or, you know, I'll, the, the, yeah, the I'll, guardians. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be correct about it, even though I don't love the team name. Do you know, like, 
what that name means. No, but what I saw is all they did was take off the I-N and just add uh, G-U-A-R before it, oh. and it's the same font. So, like, it's one of the laziest changes of all time. If that's all it amounted to. Uh, I saw... Uh, so, like, they don't have to change, like, any any of their, like, type or font or typeface on anything. It's just adding letters. Wow. So, the Indians are still alive, technically. I guess a little bit, yeah. I mean, I think we all can agree that no one was, you know, crying over getting rid of the, uh, the logo. But I guess this keeps name alive a little bit. So that's absolutely wild. Yeah, I saw a uh, Scott White tweet. I'll give a shout out to that other fantasy baseball podcast out there. And I saw a Scott White tweet where it was like, you know, baseball names really make no sense. You just need to throw a throw a green mascot out there and uh, have them prance around. I mean, so he's been living with that for the past right? three decades. So. What's a Philly? What's a Met? <laughs> and so I really liked that tweet. But uh, yeah, so um, you and I haven't had the best of years. Uh, this year no we have not even though we did face off in the championship last year in the shortened season we both had a horrendous week but luckily I had the better of the bad week uh, yeah so- that, was, that was a tough loss for me I kind of was you know I've been in school the past couple of years so not making money was already counting the paycheck before I got it and uh didn't happen so that, that was tough basically Enough- paid my league dues and got a couple of dollars on top of that and Another another interesting fact for those of you out there who don't know about Carter Farrell, he, uh, um, you just graduated from Wake Forest Law School, right? Correct. You just took the bar. So, on Tuesday uh, and Wednesday, yeah. So right on. You got me a little on a wound up day. So it's nice to kind of come out of it and talk some baseball on a pretty important day and Absolutely. get to come back to Philadelphia. So Speaking on behalf of the entire league, we all will keep our fingers and our toes crossed for you, man. Yeah, I'll knock on some wood too, cover all bases with that one. Right on. But uh, yeah, so you've always, if we bring this back to fantasy baseball for a little bit, you've always, from my eyes, had a strategy that I thought was very strong. And I'm just curious to kind of hear you talk about the way you think about fantasy baseball and um, one of the things that I've always thought was pretty cool is your um, your execution during drafts. Um, you want to start there maybe a little bit? Like what um, – because I've had some observations, but I'd love to hear it from your end. Like what do you, what's going on draft day? What's your prep going on into that? Do you have a, do you have a certain method? Like uh, love to get some color on your drafts. Yeah, so that might be like speaking back to the point I made earlier about not winning the modern era. I pretty consistently would chase home runs in K's, especially with how much home runs are weighed in our in our league back in the past. Um, I think what they're like ten points basically yeah. for, between home run, RBI, and the run scored. Just an insane amount. So like, I was a big believer in just trying to chase as much as possible and finding value across the board with that and. My favorite pick in recent memory in this league was Pete Alonzo. Um, the year he was a rookie. Yeah. And, um, you know, I just knew he had the prospect pedigree from Florida, absolutely matched there, matched in the minors. It's like, I don't know, man, this guy would come up, hit 25 home runs, like bad okay. And I think he hit over 40 that year, right? Yeah. So was that, that paid off. Was that the 50 year? Maybe it was 50. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm bad with, like, just stats. I used to be – very good at that now i'm not but um you even took so that was the year where people weren't even drafting alonzo even though like he was on some people's radar but it was more along the lines of not sure when i'll get caught up and i think he got caught up before the season even started yeah but you drafted him like and i don't mean early but you drafted him like he wasn't your last pick like you took him kind of early you saw that 
No, I think he was my first. I'd like trying to round out like a starting lineup before getting too cute with everything. Um, I think he was my first like bench back, bench yeah. bat I took, which was a very impressive pick. But what what comes to mind for me when I think about Carter Farrell when it comes to drafting is value. Am I right there? Like I feel like you are never really reaching on that hot, sexy player. And you are going for your your guys who you know can perform. And if you can get them at a discounted price, you're all about it. And what, what sticks out to me when I say that specifically, and you, I think you know who I'm going to say, but that one year, maybe two years ago, when you could get Cody Bellinger for like the 45th overall pick, something like that in the fourth round. And he ended up being the number one player in fantasy that year. And I think, did he win the MVP? I think he did, right? right. But um, yeah, it's just stuff like that. I think people tend to overthink um some down years like that and i'm a big believer in past performance especially in baseball it's not like football or basketball where you know like if you have a bad year it might be because your athleticism decreased or you know just your age is catching up with you like baseball like is i think more skillful than both it's not as related to pure athletic athleticism yeah so i think if guys down here like that it doesn't necessarily mean they're about to fall off a cliff and you know maybe it's lucky with some of those picks like in cody bellinger's case but I don't know. I, I like taking shots on guys like that that have proven it rather than sort of speculating ahead. And it, it can it can be a difficult strategy um, because uh, it can't it sometimes doesn't work out. You know, you can completely miss or these guys can still be bad. Um, but uh, for the most part, um, I, I try to implement it sometimes. And like I got I got burned this year with Anthony Rendon. But uh, um you seem to be successful at it, and uh, this year is just one of your um, very few down years, to say the least. Yeah, I mean, I might have uh, kind of went away with it, going with a guy like Jose Ramirez, who's just steady as hell. But at the first round pick, like, not what I'm used to. And I think, I think it was already maybe on the pod, kind of called out the fact that it's a very unlike me draft, and he's proven to be right. Um, you know, if I could still win from Tim this week, I think I might get back in it a bit, but. It's been tough sledding this year, that's for sure. It, it has. You, I mean, you're not out of it, and you know that as well as anyone. Um, but it is, uh, it is a long road ahead. Uh, I think we've got, what, maybe six weeks left. So uh, wish you the best of luck with trying to get back in there. Um, anyway. Yeah, feel, feel free to trade me a pitcher. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No problem. I'll just uh, – yeah, we're getting pretty close to just being a fire sale. Um, what about during the season? Is there anything that like really uh, comes to mind in regards to strategy or is it like, are you, are you a lot of intuition? Yeah, I'd say intuition, like just not to be like a, you know, pity party or dork about it, but like I, I was studying for the exam all summer. So not as locked in as sometimes um, like actually keeping tabs on the Braves, not the game at large, which kind of sucks for me. It's a little out of character, but um you know, I, I kind of fell into some bad habits this year with things like transaction trends and sort of not being like super creative about pickups. So um, I like to trade me with Kevin. I think that was a good dart throw, even though. Um, uh, oh, wow. Carter Farrell gets in the house and all of a sudden the Braves just go crazy. Four trades today. Richard Richard Rodriguez yeah, to the Braves. Dick Rod, I'm okay with that. Oh, um, wow. He's, that's a closer from uh, the Pirates that's been just throwing gas, right? Yeah, yeah. He, he's fallen off a little bit lately, but again, they might not even need him to close games right now. So it's a good it's a good relief arm for him. That I is. hope they didn't give up much. Is that someone they can sign? 
I think he has a couple years of control. So, okay. um, yeah, I like that a lot. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so it's crazy. Uh, we were talking strategy and just these trades keep rolling in. I guess, I guess they get them technically signed before four o'clock, but like the, the way it gets released, it, they just keep flowing. Yeah. I think if you like agree in principle, you can negotiate some terms after. Like I can't imagine we get something as late as like five, but I think if they, like you said, submit paperwork at, at a certain time and then it, it just takes time to come through. So, right. Um, Cool. So, I, I like that trade. I mean, I didn't see they gave up, but I, they needed another bullpen arm, so I like that. I wanted to draft him this year because you could get him a little later on the closers, and I missed him, and then it was just an absolute free fall for me when it came to closers. Yeah, I mean, not to go on a tangent, but closers are such a weird spot now because it's obviously an important roto category with Sage, and then they get cheap whip and ERA, you know, because they're only pitching one inning game at their gillet, but not many full-time closers anymore, especially with smarter teams realizing that like the ninth inning isn't always the most high leverage spot in a game. So I don't need to pitch my best player in the ninth every time. So he's a dude that just didn't have to fight anybody for save opportunities. Granted he's on one of the worst teams in the game, but um, yeah, interesting. I'll, I'll be curious if he's closing games to the Braves. I feel like he might not be. So. Yeah, that is, that is really interesting. Um, Wow, they got a video here of Chris Bryant receiving the call. But um, end of an era for that Cubs team. I mean, no one's taking a longer victory lap than the 2016 Cubs team. So <laughs> that's, I, that's I, a hot take that I absolutely love. I mean, I, I fell into it. I was rooting for him during it, and now I'm kind of sick of them. So um, Dude, no again, one. they're a big market team that probably didn't need to be doing this. They're doing it the right way, but I don't feel bad for any of their fans at all. So I I don't at all. I I love that they have taken quite a long victory lap. Um, and, uh, wow, he's in tears, which I guess that makes sense. He's kind of, he's kind of a dork. I, I didn't realize that, but, um, he's kind of stumped the last few years before this year. Yeah. I, I, um, I mean, not to like jump ahead too much, but I, I would have been much more scared the Mets got a guy like him than Baez, but it's a big pickup for the Giants kind of get like more of a name thumper in your lineup to round out a team that's been overachieving. So a big move for them. And based on the return, it didn't seem like they gave up that much. So no. I um I didn't realize with the like you mentioned with Baez I didn't know that uh, he and Francisco Lindor are buddies and like Lindor was really lobbying for to get him to the Mets. Yeah, I mean, resident uh, fan Greg didn't love it, but again, he's a dude where he strikes out so much that like he could just maybe suck these last two months. Who knows? But I mean, Steve Cohen's there now. He's opened up the uh, checkbook, and like you said, him and. Lindor friends. So it wouldn't shock me if they signed him to a long-term deal after the season. So in that case, you get him in the program and, you know, maybe he likes it there and it kind of gives you a leg up on signing him for agency. I get more for that regard than uh, necessarily like a 2021 run. Steve Cohen is definitely opening up the checkbook and a little uh, foreshadowing for what's to come. Uh, um, I don't believe that's the last time we talk about Steve Cohen on this podcast today. Rumors are it's not. So, yeah. It should be interesting. It, it will be. But uh, so you, you you mentioned the algorithm a little bit, which has been a very, very hot topic so far this year. Um, really quick, you don't need to give any type of deep elaboration, but uh, do you agree with the algorithm? <laughs> uh, not always. It, it, uh, it doesn't always steer me or I think anybody else in the right way. So um, it's fun to talk about. It's not always fun to execute with it. So got it. And then yeah. you can give a one word answer or a 30 minute answer. Um, I don't think the listeners would prefer a 30 minute answer, but uh, points or Roto? Roto. 
it's uh it's a tough it's a tough thing for me to agree on every year um i think all right i I will not do a 30 minute answer but now you got me thinking about it and i guess it's time to talk about it i think roto with daily is the best combination to keep everybody happy and engaged because engagement is very important um you know i i love like the social aspect of of this stuff too like you know, everyone's kind of growing up and moving on from stuff and everyone's in the same city. So it's nice to have a connection with just like people through this anyway, but B, if you get more engagement with it, just like through the actual like fantasy itself, it just like reciprocates all the way through. And I think daily is the move. And if you want me to elaborate, I can, if not, I'll just make that claim and walk away from it. No, we'll leave that claim where it is. I would, uh, we could probably have a whole nother podcast where we'd elaborate on that. I'm just, uh, I'm curious everyone's thoughts. And uh, I guess hopefully we'll have maybe a, uh, a manager's meeting this winter where we can all get together and wear some Hawaiian shirts in a, a nice destination, play some golf and talk about uh, the league as a whole and how we won't let Mark Cuban in. Yeah. Getting there being, being Fort Lauderdale or something, escape uh, <laughs> the Northeast cold. Yeah. I'd, I'd be up for that. Right. I would totally be down if we went somewhere better than Fort Lauderdale. <laughs> Uh, I'm just kidding. easy. <laughs> just That's for, a side of a league member. So for for all those Fort Lauderdale uh, listeners out there, I didn't mean that. Um, just kidding. I doubt. I'll have to look at the heat map. Uh, we've got more Belgium than Fort Lauderdale right now. True. True. So yeah, pander to that audience, not the the loudy audience. Um, no, but so um, back to strategy. Then, do you? Um, and I know I've talked to some other people about this, because I think this is something that I just find interesting, but um, you mentioned the transaction trends and how like, you know, it's a little bit like you haven't been on your game there. Uh, you and I have talked a little bit about this, but um, the platform, the, we were talking about Yahoo versus ESPN and how Yahoo has some of those transaction trends, like the ad drops, stuff like that. Do you think that's valuable? Like, do you like having that? Do you think that would be beneficial to a lot of the league? I do. Um, I think it makes up for just like not being on top of everything all day. It's a nice, like, and not even in a bad way, but it's a nice crutch to kind of lean on. And I think at the same time too, it's a good like check on not being too rash about things. Um, you know, a lot of times like the chop trend pickups are like guys are pitching that day, which makes sense. But, and again, it's for a daily format. So weekly it looked different, but it's kind of nice to know, like, am I dropping a guy too soon or not? And you can see what other people are thinking and, you know, group things not always a good thing, but I think it's a nice resource to have. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Carter, this podcast has been fantastic so far. Um, I was thinking for our last segment and kind of alluding to the Steve Cohen thing earlier, you and I had a conversation about a year ago during COVID when we didn't have any baseball and we were bored. And, you know, I was just. Uh, uh, it was well, some deranged phone conversations just trying to keep each other uh, in good spirits. I yeah. was legitimately depressed last April and May when we didn't have fantasy baseball for the first time in 13 years, I didn't know what to do with myself on a Sunday. It was, uh, um, now granted, I spent a lot of those Sundays over those years seeing a lot of L's, but, <laughs> but uh, I still missed even getting the L's. And uh, so you and I spoke quite a bit about it. And one of the things that surfaced was this idea of everyone's managerial style or not style. <laughs> you got the algorithm on our brain. Yeah. No, everyone's managerial style um, matched up with a certain type of investor, you know, that like uh, a little bit of uh, some of uh, the things that I know you used to do and I do in my free time. Uh, we just kind of interested in that uh, whole topic. 
and uh, you and I were talking about who is who. And so I'd love to kind of revisit that and match up each member in the league with an investor. Yeah, uh, we did talk about this and to give him the credit, Rainey has more extensive knowledge than me about all this. So I have taken his lead a lot with it, but it is pretty funny how a very real thing with investment style actually matches up to fake managing a baseball team. And right. the parallels are wildly similar in, in uh, a lot of these aspects. It's it's wild where uh, maybe, uh, maybe a couple decades from now, there will be a podcast out there where they're looking at, uh, you know, the big hedge honchos aren't hedge fund managers, but uh, successful fantasy sports players that just make a ton of money doing that or something. The odds are very low that that's the case, but you never know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'd love that. Uh, yeah, <laughs> it might be a little optimistic about that take, but um, yeah, it would be interesting. Very cool. Like their, uh, their, their uh, um, Don Corleone is like Nate Silver <laughs> or someone like that. Yeah, it'd be amazing. <laughs> All right, so let's start. I was thinking maybe I'll take a few, you could take a few, and we'll just go from there. Sounds good to me. All right. Um, I guess you know what we'll start with because I when I was saying style, I, I said Steyer instead. And so speaking of Ari, I'm gonna start with Ari as Bill Ackman. Wild silver hair Bill. It's very appropriate after uh his infamous pot appearance at this point where he kind of uh lit the league on fire. So um, right. yeah. Bill, Bill Ackman is known as being very kind of outspoken. Some would say a little cocky. Um, he's kind of the bad boy, but he's very traditional. He just buys things for the long term. And, uh, you know, uh, he's been very successful at it. And so I just I feel like those overlap very well. And so I'm going to give Ari Bill Ackman. Yeah, it's going to be tough to top that because I think that's spot on as it gets. I mean, the guy literally came on a pod and made a big brain argument and so far as kind of hasn't really had any detractors from it. I think a lot of people took it at face value, which stunned me and he sort of has been running with it. So yeah, that's, I think, I think Bill Ackman's a good comp for Ari. That's fantastic. What, um, all right. So then let's move on next to, uh, let's go to Tim. What, uh, what do you, what are you thinking for him? Yeah. Tim, former roommate of me and Rainey. Uh, we both know him very well. And as much as we love Tim, he can be one of the most boisterous, uh, for lack of a better word, sometimes an asshole type person. And um, sometimes we'll say things before he really formulates it just to build hype, build his legend in his own mind. And I think nobody better than the King of Spats, Chamath. Uh, Tim knows exactly who he is. I can't pronounce his last name, but Chamath is the King of Spats. He's in the All In podcast. Uh, he's probably the most famous guy on there. I think he has over a million and a half Twitter followers at this point, just one of those dudes that's capitalized on being very smart and also being able to tap into this crazy internet driven world that we have. And Tim's the same way. Tim's a tech hardo. Tim's his own biggest fan. Shamas his own biggest fan. And, you know, um, I'm not an expert with SPACs, but it seems like a lot of times it's kind of throwing a dart at something with some potential. And then, it, you know, you either hit it big or you take your loss and kind of move on without everybody paying attention to it. Uh, that's Tim. He'll he'll be the loudest guy in the room when he's right. He won't say a word when he's wrong and act like it never happened. So I think him and Shamath are paired up very well with that. I, I absolutely love that take. Um, I think that one is spot on. Um, and it's crazy. We didn't go down the Bitcoin route there, but I love the, the stacks. And so, all right, so let, let's go to the next one. And I'm going to tee this one up for you to take as well again. Uh, so we'll stick with you here. 
What about Kevin Wygant, your uh, the lead nemesis? Yeah, Kevin, good timing. We had a, a monster off today on uh, Jose Barreas. I call him a monster. Kevin disagreed, and per usual, me and him got into it a tiny bit. But I think there's no more appropriate one than Steve Cohen. Um, pretty straightforward one. Steve Cohen's one of the most successful hedge fund managers of all time. Also, I think has the most fines in SC history. That is <laughs> Kevin to a T. He will be as successful as he can be while literally – cutting every corner and pushing every rule he can. And I can't think of anybody else that would fit Kevin better than Steve Collins. Oh I God. hope Kevin doesn't buy the Mets one day because I'd be jealous as hell. But other than that, he can be Steve Cohen all he wants. Wow. Kevin got Stevie Cohen, and I, I absolutely love it. And so then the the I'm going to move on next to Larry, which is the complete opposite of Steve Cohen. And I'm, Larry, I'm going with Jack Bogle here, the king of the index fund, the – the one who believes that active management is bogus. I'm not, I don't even need to. I don't even need to add or drop guys as long as they're not injured. I'm going to leave them in there, and I'm going to set it and forget it. And so um, I think that he's a pretty good um, antithesis to Steve Cohen and uh, Larry. You know this strategy works, and um, Jack Bogle is very well regarded, but. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going Jack Bogle, the king of the index fund, is uh, the Larry Kelly uh, strategy. Yeah, I mean, Larry's the punching bag every year, yet somehow ends up in fifth every time and is locked for a first-round playoff loss. So I don't know if he wants to kind of ever, like, elevate from that, but what he's doing gets him to the playoffs and gives him a chance at the money. So can't really uh, fault him too much with it, despite being a somewhat archaic strategy in terms of management. So are, would you be willing to go on the record as saying that you would bet on a first round exit this year from the, uh, the Kelly and the Kelly franchise? I will put down the record. Yes. Okay. It's on the record, everyone. All right. So then moving on here, let's, uh, let's look at Sean Zhao. When, when I was thinking of Sean Zhao, I was thinking Cliff Asness. And for those of you who don't know out there, Cliff Asness is the founding principle of AQR, uh, which is a quantitative hedge fund. And their main area of investing is factor investing, where they find what they think is important, and then they try to tilt in that direction to capitalize on that. And I think it was Sean on the podcast, Carter Rehabilis on the podcast. I did. Uh, great pod. Because um, I made the comment about how the big brain algorithm just took a hit when Sean just comes on and kind of puts his nuts out on and uh on the pod just proves that like the brain's actually working, not just, just not just talking about having a big brain. So, so his, uh, his factors on that podcast uh, that he mentioned, it just made me think of Cliff Asness. And so, uh, um, and Cliff, Cliff also is very revered in the academic world. I believe he studied with Fama in French. Uh, he's been in all the circles. He's very well published. And so I think that one just fits really well. Um, this next one was a little harder, but I think I got it here. And uh, I, Greg Sawyer, I'm going to go with Peter Lynch here. He was pretty famous in the 80s and 90s for beating the S&P every single year. And his whole thing was like, investing is simple. You just buy what you know. And that's Greg. He just buys what he knows. Yeah, I mean, Greg may be the most, uh, or I guess the biggest enigma in the league. Uh, just kind of shows up and plays favorites and takes guys from a team the Mets without rhyme or reason. And it's been working for the most part, even though, uh, you know, Lindor pick kind of blew up in his face. But, yeah, I mean, Greg is kind of the same way in football as, you know, a lot of people will zig and he'll zag and hasn't really hurt him too much. So despite also kind of like a Larry where 
people don't really agree with the methods, they do tend to work. So, again, another guy I can't really rip on for his management strategy. Um, I'd have to agree with everything you said there. And uh, he is in front of both of us right now. Greg, what you've done for the league, I, I love it, man. Keep it up. Uh, the next one here, this one's really difficult. And I'm Danny Gimble. I'm going to go with Jim Simons here, the founder of Renaissance Technology and considered one of the, one of maybe the greatest investors ever and one of the greatest mathematicians in the world. And Danny, that's not why I'm picking Jim Simons for you. I'm sure you are um, an above average mathematician, but I don't believe you are the best in the world. Uh, where I'm going with that is Jim Simons hedge fund that Renaissance Technology is a complete black box. No one knows any idea what's going on in there. And Danny, that's what I think is going on with your team, man. Uh, I know there's stuff going on behind the scenes, but I don't think anyone has a clue. You are stealthily about it. Uh, you, there might be nothing going on and you're fooling all of us. But uh, so, yeah, that's why I'm picking Jim Simons for you, because I just think it's a black box that no one has any insight into and uh, really fits well. Yeah, I mean, Danny's just been consistent in this league, not for performance, but he's either towards the bottom or towards the top. And this is one of those years where he's towards the top. So, um Again, I, I like the black box comparison at all. I couldn't tell you what Danny looks to do every draft, but, you know, every other year it's going to work, and <laughs> the year after it's probably not. So it's just uh, interesting uh, variance between his performances. I don't mean to bring it back to the algorithm, but Danny has had three number one picks in his history of the league, and so that luck um, factor of the algorithm is definitely, and I mean, algorithm is a fancy way of saying equation, right? But um, the luck factor of his equation is um, definitely there for him. And so the next one here, and this one was kind of tough, Mike Gleason. I'm going with Warren Buffett here, not because he's a country, country boy, and not because he is the most successful investor since um, King Midas. Uh, more along the lines of Warren Buffett invests in uh, close to home. He, he, he buys jewelry stores down the street from him or furniture departments that are a mile and a half away from him in Omaha. Does that, is that fitting for Mike with his uh, Phillies? It's pretty fair. Uh, I like to think Mike sometimes drafts like it's two years ago, uh, likes the big names, likes the Phillies, likes what's comfortable for him, but Again, he's a guy who, if you look at the standings, is never at the bottom. Um, he's normally at the top. He's can be in the middle sometimes. And again, it's not sophisticated, but it, it has proven to be pretty successful for him in the long term. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, this next one, Kevin Link. Kevin Link's only been in the year a few years, and I know he's a, uh, as some have deemed, a sportsman. Uh, Sportsman was a great, uh, <laughs> great way to describe Kevin. I absolutely love that. For, for Kevin's style, because, and I could be wrong here. I'm going with George Soros. Interesting. Not because he tries to philosophize all the time, but more because he's a speculator. He, he is, he wants to make bets. He wants to make short-term bets and speculations. And it hasn't worked in our league so far for him. Um, like drafting Luke Hoyt in the sixth round after a two-month solid performance. But I don't doubt it works for Kevin in other realms. And uh, so, yeah, I'm thinking George Soros there. What do you think about that? I think it's interesting. Uh, again, the, sp the sportsman tag is something I'll never forget. One of the probably the funniest pop moment of the year. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a. I mean, again, I I think it was alluded to in a couple past pods that Kevin's sports brain has not really been aligned with his fantasy success. And um, 
that's a guy, anytime you see him, he's got some bet in the books. He knows what's going on all the time and check the standings and he's in 11th place. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'd, I'd like to see it catch up for him. He's on the east side of the infamous east-south bet, and there's been some accusations of him being a double agent. He's tight with Larry. There might be some under-the-table dealing. So Larry's passive, but maybe not with his bet. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'd like to see Kevin kind of turn on to end the season and maybe make a playoff run, but not sure if it's going to happen in uh, 2021. It's funny. This is a little bit of a tangent, but speaking of double agent, and this makes it even more fitting, George Soros was once considered a double agent because he was actually at, he was born in Austria and there was rumors that like people thought he was a part of the, um, I want to say like some spy brigade in Europe. Um, and he's like always denied it, but like there was some, and I don't want to say which one, so I don't want to get it wrong, but uh, so it's just, it sounds like it's even more fitting. And so we'll, 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 we'll finish up here with you, Carter. And uh, the one I was thinking of that came to mind for you because of what I said earlier with the draft strategy, I'm going to go with Seth Quarlman. And for those of you out there who don't really know who Seth Quarlman is, um, I think that's a nice compliment. Uh, he is, some consider, not only one of the most successful investors in the world, but um, one of the most like successful, uh, he's, he has one of the most successful articulation of investment strategy in the world in his book, Margin to Safety. Um, if you want to go get a copy of it, it's, I think, $1,500. You can't find it. It's uh, considered one of the Magnus Opus. No, I got that wrong. Magnum Opus? Magnus? Uh, I'm getting out of my lane. It's considered a good I think book. I think it is Magnus, <laughs> but now I'm nervous about it. Yeah, uh, right? No, it is Magnum. It's Magnum. It's Magnum, it's Magnum yeah. It's so Magnum. I'm, I'm getting out of my lane. I'm Magnus Carlson's the great chess player. <laughs> got it. So I'm using words I shouldn't be. I should have just said it's a good book. But uh, no, he's a value investor. And... Uh, He's very patient and principled. And that's just kind of what I think of when it comes to your strategy. And uh, uh, I don't mean to give you a pat on the back, but that's kind of just what I was thinking there with Seth Klarman. And all these people on this list are all very, very successful. And so none of them are an insult, other, uh, maybe Steve Cohen. But uh, uh, <laughs> for the most part, um, yeah, so I'm glad. Uh, you got any final thoughts on, on that? Or Yeah, I mean, it's a good segment because I think it kind of alludes to what I said earlier with the modern era. I think it's a strong group of owners right now where there's sort of no punching bag. And even the guys that, you know, may not be as active on the waiver wire and trades or even, you know, kind of just, you know, we'll do the set and forget it. Hasn't really hurt them in the long run and they still remain competitive. So, yeah, I don't think you can really knock the styles of any any one manager because what works has been working for most people. I, I totally agree with you. The league is as strong as ever. And, uh, um, and the podcast has been fantastic so far to be able to get everyone on and kind of talk about it. And so Carter, without uh, further ado, I really, um, I really appreciate your time. Uh, I'm very grateful. This has been fantastic. It's been a great trade deadline. Um, any, very good one. Yeah. Any, anything else you want to get out there to the uh, listeners? Not much, just, uh, you know, subscribe, download, like, comment, review. Um, I'll be a show for the pod, but, uh, yeah, it's been fun. It's a nice little, uh, every, you know, maybe once a week, once every two weeks pod just to throw on and kind of listen to it without having to, you know, take much stock in it. It's just fun hearing, you know, your buddies talk about baseball. So it's been a, been a good addition to the league this year. Right on, man. I, uh, I appreciate that. And I, I second him there. Uh, give it a, a rate or a subscription if you got the time. And uh, again, it's on Apple. It's on Apple and Spotify podcast now. Uh, so, Carter, 
Appreciate it, man. And I guess you and I have some uh, Philadelphia to get exploring too. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. It's been too long. So happy to be back. Right on. All right, man.